Thanks everyone for tuning in to tonight's talk. Today we're going to be interviewing with David and we also have Marku and Hazel also on the call. Hi there. Hi there. Yeah, and I would like to thank I would like to thank David in the beginning here for joining us. Oh no problem. It's your your time too. Um no, looking forward to the discussion. All right, David. So I think a lot of people kind of from the forum uh, know who you are, but I think some podcast listeners may not um, necessarily understand what your role is and what you do. So why don't you kind of just give us a quick rundown as to kind of who you are, uh, what you do at the BTA and and kind of what goes on there? Sure. So my name's David Stockdale. Um, I'm the chief executive of the British Tinnitus Association, um, which for charity doesn't mean I'm in charge. It means my role is to implement the strategy and the strategic direction that's set by our board of trustees. So every charity has a has a board of trustees, and in our case, they're all volunteers and all have tinnitus, and they decide on what the the mission and the aims of the BTR BTA is and what our strategy is, and then it's very much up to me to, to manage the staff team and manage our resources to, to best achieve those goals. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So the trustees of the board, um, they're coming up with the, the mission of what exactly wants to be done. And then they kind of tell you to implement that. Yeah, pretty much. So last year we agreed on a new five-year strategy um, that's very much set and agreed by the board. And then it's up to me to decide operationally what we do to, to achieve those. And then that's signed off on an annual basis by our, our board of trustees as well. So, so yeah, it's the trustees that, that really drive the organization. Um, and we do that in consultation, of course, with the tinnitus community and with our membership as well to make sure that, that what we do is going to achieve their goals and their aims and, and what they believe that the BTA should be doing. So at its heart, the BTA really is a, a membership organization and and it's very much driven by surveys and feedback that we get from our members in terms of what we should be doing and what we should be prioritizing. Just to touch on this, because I know everyone's going to be asking it, um, do you actually suffer from tinnitus yourself? I don't. Um, I have tinnitus, but I don't um, suffer from it. I hear it at night and I hear it when I'm stressed, but I no, I don't describe myself as a tinnitus sufferer. Um, right. I'm sorry. So you, you have tinnitus, but you don't, you're, you're not, um, it's not something that's uh, actively bothering you. No, that's correct. Yeah. I haven't sought help for it or anything else. Not sure if I'd have even noticed it if I didn't have this job. Um, but yeah, it's certainly there and present and something I, I am aware of. Um, yeah, like I say, when it's quiet or when I'm stressed. David, do you remember this coming on at a certain point or kind of something that was always there? No, I didn't have it when I started here. Um, so I've been at the BTA for eight years now, and I certainly didn't have it at that point. But it's um, something that's emerged um, over time. And like I say, I only notice it when it's quiet. I've got a high-pitched tone. Um and it's probably associated with a degree of hearing loss, I'd imagine, um, just based on, you know, general prevalence and, and what, what's out there. So, David, uh, one question I have in mind is that before BTA, uh, before you joined, what's, uh, there probably was an open position. How did you come about it? Uh, did you have some kind of professional idea why you wanted to become an executive? Yeah, yeah. so um, I've always been around the charity sector. Um, I've worked in a number of different um, charities and organizations at senior 
level. Um, so firstly around youth consultation and then around um, crime prevention. So so nothing to do with health at all, but I really wanted to, to you know, advance my career basically. So I saw the, the job come up and I did a lot of research and, you know, just looking at where the charity was and how it was structured at the time, I really felt I could make a difference and drive the charity forward and felt that, you know, I could really, you know, support them in, in terms of what the, the charity wanted to do to, to, you know, be a bigger player than it was at the time as well. So, so yeah, it was career motivated, if you like, but at the same time, I really felt that I could make a difference. And since coming on board, um, I've really enjoyed it. I really do enjoy the charity as it is. I enjoy it's the role it has. Um, I really do see us as being a, a hub of the, the tinnitus community in the UK. So, you know, working very closely with not only people who have tinnitus, but also with uh, clinicians and those out there to help people manage it better and also the research community as well. So really enjoy those interactions. And and overall, you know, the, the charity feels positive. You know, the people out there want it to succeed. So, so yeah, I really enjoy working here. It's uh, something that I also find interesting, David, is, is um, how hard that we all see you working. You know, you, you're on the forum, you're responding to us, you're responding to emails, you're, you're obviously working at the organization. Is this always been your attitude at, at all your jobs or, or is this specific um, charity organization making you want to work harder to help people? You know what I mean? Because you, you just seem to work so hard and um, it's just it's just like, like surprising to me that someone's so into their job. Thank you for the feedback. It's really good to hear that you you guys value that as well. And, you know, I mean, when I went to the interview, you know, what motivates me is I want to close the charity down. Um, you know, I want it to not be needed anymore. I mean, that's always been my aim, wherever whatever organization I've been with, because, you know, charities are in that unique position that, you know, you, you could achieve your objective and no longer exist. And I'd, I'd love that to be the case with the PTA. I'd love to pack it up one day and say, actually, we've done it. We've, we've found cures. We don't need the BTA anymore. I mean, that's what drives me. I'd, I'd love to have that on my CV and, and have that as an achievement as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really interesting uh, perspective that your main goal is to get rid of the BTA, but not, not in a bad sense, in a good sense that it's no longer needed. I never really thought about it. Like yeah, that. exactly. I mean, you know, and everyone's the same who works here. I mean, you know, we're a growing team, but no one works for for a charity really for you know huge remuneration or anything else you look for those other types of rewards you want to help people you want to achieve something significant so yeah it's, it's certainly what drives you know me and my team and of course you know our trustees are people that are living with tinnitus so they want that to happen too right that actually was going to be um another one of my questions was um, how much of the staff would you say has tinnitus or is it kind of a similar situation to you where they have tinnitus, but it, it's not really an impact on their life. Um, but then the trustees are the ones that really suffer from it, which is why they're uh, so involved. Yeah, yeah I think that's end. fair. Um, there are people here who do have tinnitus and a couple struggle with it a little bit, but it's, it's one of those things as well. I'm sure, you know, you guys find it as well in your roles that actually, if you have a role where you're going to work and it says the British Tinnitus Association above the door, it can be a real struggle if you, if you do have severe tinnitus to keep that 
going and keep that focus on on your day job where you just got that constant reminder about tinnitus as well so we have had people on the on the staff team before who have struggled but for their own welfare they've, they've kind of moved on a little bit in the end just because like i said turn up to work and having that above the door every day is not not a the best place to be if you are trying to to manage tinnitus effectively as well right actually you know you know it's interesting ever since i started um doing a lot of work with uh, Marco and Hazel for the podcast, um, it's, it's been mentioned to me like, oh, like if you are constantly thinking and, and working on stuff regarding tinnitus, aren't you thinking about it more? And from my personal experience, it's it's kind of a dis- a better distraction for me. Like it's, it's even though I'm talking and thinking about tinnitus, it's like I'm working and I'm distracting it and it kind of helps me not really tune into it as much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I guess it's a different experience for me, but yeah, it's uh, I've definitely had people kind of give me a similar question of if you're always thinking about it and talking about it, doesn't it make it more relevant? And for me, it kind of is a, a little distraction. I don't know about Marco and Hazel. Uh, Jack, I have the exactly same experience. So it distracts me. It helps me actually to work on this stuff. But I I would say maybe for the majority. I don't have percentages, but I think from the feedback we have gotten and the fact that it's so hard to get volunteers and they tend to drop when the tinnitus becomes better and they don't uh, need to think about it all the time. So I would say for the majority of people, it is uh, they don't want to be involved in something that reminds them about their struggles. So we are the minority in that. Yeah, and in another sense, it also kind of helps me feel like I'm doing something instead of just sitting there and being like, I, I'm not doing anything. At least like I'm, I'm working on it. I'm doing something. I'm pushing it. I'm trying to make the situation better by raising awareness or doing something like that. So it's kind of, I guess that's like a, maybe a double, double edged sword in the sense where I'm working and it's distracting, but also at the same time, I feel productive. Like I'm helping the situation. So it makes me feel a little better as well. That's um, my, that yeah. yeah, I have the same motivation. It's like, you know, something bad happens to you, you have no control over it. But then, you know, contributing something to the cause is something that you do have some, you know, you, it, it gives you some like, sense of control or back and, uh, and um, yeah, something turning a negative experience into something positive to some extent. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, yeah. we're fortunate to have people like you out there doing it. So I guess, you know, it's not just looking at people who contribute to the BTA, but you look at people who are contributing to the tinnitus community globally as well. And it's, it's a real value. I think that people like yourselves are doing that and are involved. Right. Um, just to, to ju- kind of jump back onto our initial uh, <laughs> chain of uh, questioning to make sure we get to everything. Um, so just to jump back to the BTA, um, can you kind of describe to us what the main goal of the BTA is or what the current uh, mission statement is? Yeah. I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but. Yeah. So our vision is a, a world where no one suffers from tinnitus and that's what we want to achieve. So we think some of that's achievable now because we think there are tools and methods out there that enable some people not to suffer. Um, so, you know, there are management techniques that that will, you know, get people out of that population. But at the same time, you know, we want to find better ways to manage tinnitus as well so that we can take more people out of that population, people that do suffer from tinnitus. And ultimately, we want to find a cure as well. Right. And um, so I know you mentioned uh, early in the conversation that you have like a five-year plan. Um, can, can you kind of get into that a little bit or? Yeah. So the plan covers 
sort of five different areas, if you like. So one is around cure. And we want to be much more um, proactive, if you like, in leading progress towards a cure. And that doesn't mean necessarily doing things directly as the BTA, but lobbying um, others with deeper pockets than the BTA to to invest in cure-based research. And also encourage um, existing tinnitus researchers as well to, to consider what their focus is and if their focus could shift to, to areas that we think are important and pharmaceutical companies are telling us are important to really you know, drive forward that investment from them in, in tinnitus research as well. So, so can we encourage more people to, you know, look for objective measures to to look at how to subtype tinnitus as well, and and really move research into a, a slightly different area than than what it's prioritising at the moment. So, so yeah, we see that, like, say, as as having more than one angle to it. But yeah, we certainly want to. Um, you know, make sure that there's more curative research happening and that also some of the researchers are hopefully looking at the field a little bit differently than than is the case currently. Um, our other area of our um, strategy is called INFORM and we want everyone to know what tinnitus is and what to do about it. Um, so a lot of that is around using things like Tinnitus Week, um, using social media and our press work to really just drive up knowledge about what tinnitus is at a, at a really basic level to make sure that people just understand, you know, what the what the word means, what tinnitus is and, and what to do about it as well. So, you know, we still get a lot of people who get in touch with us who say things like, oh, I never knew what tinnitus was until I got it, until it was diagnosed. So, so just really trying to raise, raise awareness amongst the general public about what that is. Um, thirdly, we're looking to work on prevention. So we want to empower people to really help them make effective choices around noise exposure and understand the risks and understand what they can do to um, ameliorate those risks as well and what they can do to reduce those risks of getting tinnitus through exposure to loud noise. And then our final one really is around manage, we call it, which is about just how we provide the best support to the whole tinnitus community. So how we improve the information that's on our website, how we improve our helpline, how we improve all the different services that we have out there to to help people who live with tinnitus, but also how we make sure that the medical community in the UK is giving out the best advice as well. So we offer a lot of training courses and work with a lot of the professional associations as well to try and upskill um, people who are, you know, coming face to face with tinnitus patients as well to make sure that, that they have the right skills and right um, knowledge as well to, to offer the best support possible to people who are living with tinnitus. Wow. So it, it seems like you guys are basically trying to cover all the patient, uh, bases, I mean, in, in regards to research awareness and helping people that currently have it. So um, sounds like so it sounds like you guys pretty much are doing a, a good job on that front, you know. I, I thought, I, I, me personally, I thought you guys were kind of focusing mainly on helping people coming to you, but it seems like you guys are have a lot broader reach um, in, into all different things than just just that. Yeah, I mean, we're a small team, and so you know, deciding how we split, you know, our time to do that is is challenging, if you like. But yeah, we try and um, you know have that different. Um, grounds covered. I mean, you know, in bigger fields, if you like, in so for instance, cancer, you know, those things would be done by about four different charities. You know, you'd have in the UK, Cancer Research UK, who do the research, have Macmillan, who do the support, and, you know, you'd, you'd diversify far more. But, you know, when you're a 
one charity working in the in the area, if you like, or you know, one that's got this major mission around it. And so then you've kind of got to spread yourself a little thin, more thinly in in what you do, and try and make sure that you can do you know everything that that you want to and you know it's tough and we always have the debate of should we just go all in and just look at research or should we just go all in and just do supporting people to live with it but you know we feel it's important that we try and do do our best across all those areas right you know what this actually just uh, what you just said kind of um uh reminded me about something is that tinnitus even though it's it technically based on the statistics they say it's between like 10 to 20 percent of people have it is is that right do you know that if that's correct yeah it's that ballpark yeah so like that's the range so that's a huge amount of the population but for some reason um there's not that much talk about tinnitus and research about it like i just did a very quick google search um and 12 percent of uh women uh, one in eight in the U.S. get breast cancer, but the amount of research and, and information about breast cancer is huge compared to something like tinnitus, even though the amount of people that it affects is so much greater. I mean, I'm not trying to compare one or the other. I'm just trying to show that the amount of understanding and awareness about both of those conditions are, are vastly different, even though tinnitus technically is um, affecting more people. Yeah, and you know we do similar comparisons as well. So I'm working on a paper at the moment that's um, looking at some of these comparisons, and I think we compared it to diabetes and migraine and other things, which you know you could say are comparable in some ways. You know, in terms of population and the impact that they have, and yeah, the the number of research papers that are published in those areas and the funding that goes into those is, is vastly different. Um, yeah, and I know, I know um, recently I was uh, there was a thread on tinnitus talk discussing about um, the funding of uh, certain health organizations and and where they put their funding into which research um, uh, fields. And there was quite a strange um, deviation of money going into certain things that affected a very small amount of the population versus other illnesses and issues that affected a lot larger percentage of the population. I mean, I don't really understand if there's any politics behind that or anything like that, but I, I just find it interesting that uh, illnesses and things that affect a larger group of people are not a main priority versus things that affect a smaller group of uh, people that have the illness. Um, I'm just thinking out loud here, but I, I don't know. I, just, I find that interesting how, how that's decided and how money is divided up that way. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, a lot of it's health economics. Um, so, you know, they do look at the cost and the societal cost and the burden of disease, if you like, for different things. That certainly plays a big part. And I think the other and the challenge around tinnitus research at the moment is, you know, some of the things that we've touched upon a little bit already, you know, in terms of definition. Um, do we have a clear definition of tinnitus? Do we need a better definition of tinnitus? The Research at the moment so heter is very heterogeneous because you know if if five people went at the moment to get diagnosed for tinnitus they'd probably all get the same diagnosis if you like of just having subjective tinnitus but the reality is they may have very different types of tinnitus once we start start to subtype effectively so actually you know we're a long way behind and maybe tinnitus isn't one it one disease or or one condition if you like it may be several different ones but we haven't you know, started to really look into that and investigate it. And, you know, then you have the problems, like we say, with outcome measures and and a range of other issues as well. So tinnitus research is a little bit messy, you know, to go back to your example of um, breast cancer, 
you know, my crass understanding, you've either got it or you haven't, and there's an objective way to tell. You know, we don't have those sorts of measures in place for tinnitus at the moment that would enable research to really jump forward. And actually, yeah, I was going to say research in MS is an interesting one to look at as well. I mean, a lot from my understanding, a lot of research into um, MS, multiple sclerosis, didn't really start to move forward until they had that objective measure and a way to measure um, MS and see if it was progressing or not. Um, and once that was established, you know, the research has, has started to really kick on. Right. And yeah, just to touch on what you said is, is you know, you go to the doctor and obviously, yeah, you, oh, I've ringing in my ears. Oh, that's tinnitus. Okay. Get out of here. Like we can't help you. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, uh, it is a very complex thing. You know, there's obviously postal, somatic noise induced tinnitus. There's head trauma tinnitus. Um, you know, I think that you're right that th we do have to kind of push to getting those type of diagnoses instead of just, oh, you just have tinnitus. Like we, you, you know what I mean? Like there are those subtypes that's, that should be looked into because if you have like something like TMJ, like, yeah, you have tinnitus, but if you have tinnitus caused by TMJ, then that could be alleviated a little bit maybe, you know what I mean? But I feel like a lot of times, a lot of people, who, especially who come on the forum, it's just, I went to the doctor, I told them I had ringing in my ears. They said it was tinnitus and they sent me on my way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's definitely a little frustrating. Yeah, I mean, medically, there isn't really, you know, unless you're looking at some of the objective causes like pulsatile tinnitus, it's, you know, speaking from a UK perspective, you will have, a, you know, possibly a diagnosis of pulsatile tinnitus, but beyond that, yeah, just tinnitus. So, you know, somatic tinnitus even isn't particularly well recognized here. And that's something we're thinking on, of working on next year because there's some better research around that now. But yeah, beyond that, you know, you won't, you know, you may get tinnitus and, and a reason why that tinnitus is there. So like you said, sort of caused by head trauma or hearing loss, but, but that's not then necessarily a recognized subtype. And it's certainly nothing that, you know, research at the moment is sophisticated to look at saying, you know, okay, let's do a trial and let's look at tinnitus only caused by hearing loss or tinnitus with this sort of hearing loss or tinnitus of this severity only or something. So yeah, it's, you know, subtyping is a real challenge for us and something we really need to think about a lot, I think, over the next couple of years. Right, right. Um, to, to just jump back again to the BTA, sorry, we, we, we're having such good conversation oh. where we're deviating so much I, from I enjoy the, the initial plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, just to hop back a little bit. So how much of the, uh, if, if you know of the BTA's, um, budget comes from, uh, patient donations or, or, uh, donations in general. So we, or is it all, all donations? Um, no, I mean, our donations are about 14% of our income. So about just over 100,000 last year, I think, came in patient donations. Um, we also get gifts in wills. So people leave a legacy to the BTA and pretty much all of our research funding comes from that. Um, we do get some grants for specific uh, research projects, but, but the general research that we uh, commission and fund comes through um, legacy income, we call it. So gifts in wills, and that's, you know, our main source of income in the past um, so about a third of our incomes from that so you could say you know that's also donations from from individuals um, and then about a quarter of our income is through uh, trusts and foundations so we apply for grants um, to you know do things like um, our helpline on our information days have been funded by support grants in the past and then you know have a membership scheme we sell some goods as well as um, all you know kind of making up the the rest of the the income that we receive Mm -hmm. And so what, how much of your, um, 
budget, I'm sorry, goes to uh, actual research and, and awareness. Um, you know what I mean? Because like, obviously, like when you have an organization, a charity, it has to be split between like salaries, has to go to office management, paying the rent in the office and everything. So um, if you know what, what percentage of the uh, total uh, yearly spending goes toward, um, toward research and, and raising awareness about tinnitus versus like office costs and keeping. Yeah. So 19% of our income last year was spent on research. Um, but beyond that, because we're a small team, um, you know, people kind of work across a lot of different areas. So we don't particularly split staff team between awareness or, you know, time on the helpline and things. So that's a little harder for us to do. So, you know, a lot of, you know, for instance, we'll have staff who work on tinnitus week um, and put time into that when it's running because, you know, it gets a bit all hands on deck, as I'm sure it's the same as Mark, who will, will tell you from last year's as well for, for you guys. Um, but then, you know, with people, or everyone does shifts on the free phone helpline as well. And then, you know, we've got the tinnitus support groups that we're, we're looking to support. So it gets a little bit more confusing beyond that. Um, in terms of our admin and premises costs, that's 4% of our of our overall income goes on admin. Um, wow. And then, you know, we, we've got fundraising costs as well. Um, but, you know, there's, there's kind of a mix. And then, you know, about 25% of our cost last year went on training. So events that we run for professionals and our conference, but then also, you know, doing the information days as well and, and other things for the general public. That's what I was going to say. So it is quite, you know, it's, it's split across a number of things, but yeah, the easiest thing to draw out is the research. But like I say, if you're looking at how much we spend on awareness versus other things, it's, it's a little harder for us to break out just because, you know, we don't sort of time log um, everyone's time on, on those sorts of things at the moment. Right, right. But I'm, I'm sorry. What was the the initials that you said? Ninety or nineteen? I, I couldn't. Oh, agree. Uh, nineteen. One nine percent on research. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I mean, um, everything you said that's very impressive. Um, I uh, I know quite a bit about uh, charities in the United States and how they work, and um, it's uh, there's not a lot of regulation when it comes to once once a charity gets some money there's not a lot of oh what are you doing with that money you know what i mean so seeing how much of your money is going to actually helping people and and funding your your goal ultimately is quite impressive um because i know a lot of uh uh charities in the us uh, stuff like that it's it's not really the case so i mean it's it's quite surprising how much of a giant percentage of that money actually is helping instead of just um, kind of being recycled back into the organization. Yeah, and we try and be transparent about this. So the numbers I'm quoting are on the back of our impact report that's available on our website and our full accounts are available through the Charities Commission as well. So I think they're being posted in Tinnitus Talk anyway. So you can see exactly how, <laughs> how we do spend the money um, or how we allocate it. And of course, they're audited as well by a, an independent audit firm. So, so, you know, it's not just us saying it there. They are fully audited accounts. So you're saying people on Tinnitus Talk are keeping tabs on you? <laughs> and rightly so. You know, that's, that's what they're there for. <laughs> in- no, no. Yeah, yeah, of course. David, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on fundraising, um, which is kind of related to the financial stuff you were talking about. Because um, I wonder what your experience is with this, but from the uh experience we've had with trying to raise funds it we found it exceedingly difficult um you're uh, very well aware of course because uh, bta is administering the danny boy fund mm. 
that we did the fundraiser for, or actually one of our members at 209 uh, initiated the fundraiser for this. And it raised 5,000 pounds, which is, I mean, that's not nothing. It's quite a good sum that we can do something really nice with, and it's going to uh, curative research, right? That was that was always the intention. We raise funds in Danny Boy's name, and it should go to research for a cure. Um, but getting that five thousand, <laughs> what took a lot of uh, time and effort, uh, and we've uh, we know that only less than one percent of people who saw the campaign and who went to the GoFundMe page ended up donating. Uh, and considering that most of those people probably have tinnitus themselves, uh, we found that to be very low. And we were just wondering where this comes from. Is it that people have some kind of mistrust with donating to causes in general? Like we, we can, yeah, we, we feel like we need more insight into that. I was just wondering what your perspective is. Yeah, I mean, fundraising for tinnitus is tough. Um, you know, again, we've talked about the, the prevalence of tinnitus and and last year, you know, the BTA's income was 740,000 and I think the American Tinnitus Associations is pretty comparable to that as well. So so the actual amounts that are getting donated to, to the major charities is low. Um, there are other charities, of course, out there working on tinnitus as well. Um, and yeah, I think... I think online fundraising for tinnitus in particular seems quite tough. Um, you know, a lot of our income doesn't come from online services and tends to come because people have used our helpline or, you know, we've we've met people at support groups and things like that as well. Um, so yeah, it's it is a it is a tough ask. Like I say, I mean, talked about it before. The number of or the percentage of personal donations we get is is quite low. Um, our income through gifts and wills is fantastic and kind of. You know, keeps the charity afloat, if you like. But yeah, it is. It's a real tough environment, I think, to to fundraise money for tinnitus because it's one of those things as well. You know, unless you've got it, it's it's an even tougher ask, I think, when there, there's so much competition out there. So you do rely on on people living with tinnitus to to keep the the organisation going, really, and to keep um, research going as well. Yeah, for the. <clears throat> Danny Boy's campaign, I think the page got something like 60,000 views and uh, again, less than 1% donated anything. And recently also Ed209 and At the Edge of Science, who are members of Tinnitus Talk, they ran the sponsored uh, ad campaigns on Facebook. Uh, At the Edge of Science, uh, I think he spent 300 uh, US dollars advertising the Professor Rauschecker's uh, research fundraiser and the result was zero new uh, donations and the target group was for the advertisement Tinado suffers so it's really hard when <laughs> the sufferers themselves don't see value in uh, helping fund these goals, causes yeah and i think around research you know it's it's a tough discussion to have in a way but i mean there's there's some validation in that you know i mean there's obviously discussions about the value of, of tinnitus research ongoing on, on tinnitus talk regularly. And, you know, a lot of people have got a, a fair point um, that, you know, that's hard at the moment, I think, to see where that real direction's coming from and where what you would get the most bang from your book for, I think, around research. So I understand some of that. Um, from the Danny Boy thing, I mean, I think my hope is that we can build some trust um, that, you know, by showing that we're running that by, you know, it being a community led initiative and the fact that, you know, we will have a vote um, on 
the piece of research to fund um, will, you know, hopefully build some trust and transparency and show that people do have a stake in it. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things that we have to sit into for the long term and hope that, you know, people see the value in in participating in that way. And, and we build some trust that the money is going to the research that the community believes is is right but but yes yeah, it's, it's a slog basically it's 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 a really hard um fundraising message because again you know we um look at what else you do and i mean i joke about it a lot because you know i'll go do a fundraising pitch to a company the company's deciding they're going to support a hearing charity if you like or something i'll go do one people are on side you know you've got some of the room with you and some of them are going to vote and then hearing dogs for deaf people come in with a little puppy and you know no one's going to remember what you've just done because there's a cute little labrador you know so, <laughs> so you know it, it can be you know, you just look at the messaging and what you're doing and, and the tools you have compared to, like I say, charities working in animal welfare or children's charities. And it's it's hard to get other people involved if beyond the tinnitus community, unfortunately. So, David, what you should do is you should you should bring in little puppies and, and talk about how tinnitus not only affects humans, but also oh, animals. Yes. That'll get you some we, donations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's absolutely that type of thing, how, you know, and it is that sort of tugging at heartstrings thing that, that works quite well in those environments sometimes. And yeah, you just, you know, it's hard to really talk about it unless you've got it, I think. Um, and, you know, and that goes through a lot of, so I do a lot of health and safety talks and it's the same thing. You know, I always start by doing the talk because I know people are there because they have to, because it's health and safety for a company. And I always say, you know, no one cares about tinnitus, you know, until you get it and then you do. You know, and then just take people through that journey because it's so easy to dismiss, unfortunately, unless, you know, you have lived it or you have, you know, had that sort of real experience of it and, and trying to bring people on board with it can be a challenge, I think, who, you know, just aren't aware of it or, you know, aren't particularly concerned about it. Yeah, I think um, people just don't, I, I think they're ignorant and they, they, they're not being like malicious. They just don't necessarily understand the extent of, of what tinnitus is. Um, and, you know, we've had people discuss this all the time on the forum where they say, like, I didn't even know what tinnitus was. And then once I got it, it's like, oh, my God, why isn't this more talked about? Or, like, why don't people understand this? We even have some users who um, who have tinnitus, but then it went away, but they're sticking around because they know how terrible it is. And they take it very seriously now because they know how much people suffer from it. Um and so I think it's one of those things where it's like, you don't really know about it. You don't, you don't have an experience it like, Oh, what is it? It's just a little ringing or oh, whatever. But then once someone gets a full smack in the face of it, they're like, Oh my God, this is, this is no well, joke. I think that's the challenge because I think everyone has experienced tinnitus. Everyone's been to a loud environment and left and had the ringing in years for a few hours afterwards. So everyone's had that. And I think that's what makes it so easy to dismiss because, you know, everyone's like, so been in that environment, they've had it, it's gone away. And actually whilst the two hours it was there or whatever, it wasn't that big a deal. So I think that's one of the challenges with tinnitus is that, you know, it's easy to dismiss because people have been through that experience and had it short term and then they just associate that as being the same thing as what everyone else is experiencing, which is not at all. Right. And I think that it's important that we talked about like um, distinguishing between the different tinnitus before. I think it's important that we distinguish something like that. Like, like there's something called fleeting tinnitus people have, but something that's temporary ringing in the ears, like 
that is very different than chronic tinnitus. And I think that, so when people say tinnitus, it encompasses everything involving ringing in the ears. So when people, like you just said, you're right. It's a temporary thing. And people say, oh, like I had that one time, it was just a little ringing, but it went away. They don't understand that it's a completely different thing. Absolutely. No, I agree. Some things that I actually wanted to, to talk about is the importance of uh, the different types of statistics and facts when it comes to tinnitus. So when you guys are trying to raise awareness for a tinnitus, what different statistics and facts are you throwing out there to kind of catch people's attention? I think it's those stats. It's that one in 10 people have it. I think how common it is always surprises people. And, and not only that, but how many people have it you know, to a level where it is having an impact upon quality of life so that, you know, 2% of the total population have tinnitus to a level where it's, you know, impacting on, on day-to-day activity and, you know, people are really struggling with it. You know, they're, they're big numbers um, and, you know, they're often the ones that we look at and, and use a lot. Um, beyond that, um, we're using a lot of the numbers that we found in the economic study as well. So the societal cost of tinnitus, the fact that tinnitus costs the UK over £2 billion a year is huge. No, same same in the United States. Yep, it's a, it's yeah. a massive yeah, cost. Yeah, so, you know, and again, they're, they're big numbers and things that, you know, do get people's attention, I think. So so I think they're always useful to, to you know, know and understand. And, and then just the, you know, the cost of, tinnitus to the NHS, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the NHS spends around £750 million a year on on supporting people to manage tinnitus. Um, so again, you know, there's huge opportunities there for better ways to manage it and a cure as well to to hit those markets. So I think they're, you know, the sorts of numbers that that are useful to to use and useful to, to put out there. Um, beyond that, um, I'm not sure, I mean, there's there's other numbers I use, but I think I always think they're the key ones. Really, is just how prevalent it is, and then just some of the the, the big numbers around cost as well. Coming up next, we talk to David about how doctors treat thirteen hundred patients. Many of us have had a bad experience with the medical professional. It might have been down to a lack of time, lack of understanding, or even lack of empathy. You will hear David explain what the PTA is trying to do about that. But first, let me introduce you to the results of a poll that was organized on the Tinatus Talk forum. The question was, did you find a doctor that really cared enough to go to the bottom of your Tinatus problem? 74% answered no. And I'll give you a quote from one of our members. I came to one conclusion, nobody cares. None of the doctors I met wanted to help me. Nobody even asked or went through the list of conditions that can cause tinnitus. Signed by a disillusioned patient. All right, let's get back to the interview. Do you got? Does the BTA uh, try and help uh, reach out to doctors about that compassion that a lot of people talk about when it comes to tinnitus? When people first have tinnitus, a lot of doctors seem cold. They don't really want to. Um, they don't really seem too empathetic or sympathetic toward their patient. They kind of just say, this is it, just live with it and deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's not something that people with tinnitus, when they first get what they want to hear. Um, do you do any work with trying to educate doctors or try and push the message of, hey, you guys got to be a little more understanding here. Like this is a very serious thing. Yeah, we do. So we've produced um, practice guidance for um, family doctors, so GPs in the UK, and we've um been disseminating that a lot and we're doing some um, education material as well working with Action on Hearing Loss one of the major charities on on hearing loss in the UK and um, developing tools for 
um, family doctors again in in Northern Ireland. So, so yeah, we are doing um, work around that, and it's it's always a key message that we're getting out, and we um, go to the main sort of royal conference, royal uh, national conference for GPs every year as well to to again just try and get that message out there that yeah they need to to be doing better by their tinnitus patients. And to be fair, most of them are receptive to that message because they you know willingly admit it's not covered in their mainstream education so we do do a lot of work with them to try and get that compassionate message right to to make sure they're not you know making someone's condition worse by the the information that they're giving them as well so yeah we do do that a lot with with gps um need to do it better with ents and it's certainly one of our um targets next year is just how do we work better with the ent community as well to to make sure that they're not doing that negative counseling if you like as well right and and I feel like, I mean, based on my experience and other people that I've seen on the website, that ENTs are the, are the, some of the biggest culprits when it comes to this, of the message of learn to live with it. Um, you know, a lot of them also, when people come in very distressed, like a lot of the people I've seen on Tinnitus Talk talk about this, they, they go in very distressed because obviously tinnitus can be very distressing. And ENTs will will downplay the tinnitus and and chalk up the distress to anxiety and, and kind of be like, oh, you got to get your anxiety in check. You got to you got to get that in check. The tinnitus isn't really that bad. It's just your anxiety about it. And it's kind of like, I, I, I agree to a certain extent, but if the tinnitus is bad, it's causing the anxiety. So initially the tinnitus is still the big problem. So telling someone to just live with it isn't, isn't very comforting, which I think a lot of ENTs need to, to realize and kind of uh, stop using that terminology because I feel like it's very damaging psychologically when someone comes to them and they say, oh, just learn to live with it. And it essentially just says to the person, there's nothing we can do like you're on your own. When it comes to representing uh, the spectrum of, of people who have tinnitus, does the BTA kind of represent every single class? Uh, you know, the people who have it but don't really notice it, like yourself, uh, people who have it mildly, moderately, severely, very severely. Um, do you kind of even distinguish between those people or do you, or do you just kind of uh, put everyone into in a category of people who have tinnitus and we're representing everybody? Um, yeah, I mean... I'd like to think the BTA is here to represent the whole tinnitus community and, and everyone within it. So, you know, somewhere on our helpline, we don't say, oh, well, you've only had it for this long or, well, you don't sound to be struggling too much and, and hang up. You know, we're we're here to help anyone who, who wants our service, basically. We don't, you know, discriminate, if you like, or or think that we're not here to um, represent certain elements. It's it's we're here to to help everyone and and I think that I see our role as here to sort of like say bring together researchers and clinicians as well and work with them as well as you know people living with tinnitus but yeah I'd certainly like to think that the BTA represented the whole tinnitus community and that we're here for everyone right right so yeah and that makes sense to me I mean I guess it would be hard to distinguish between oh for mild sufferers we're going to do this for you know what I mean so I guess it's good that it's just a, a you're just trying to help everybody out, but do you do you guys still recognize the the difference in I guess in our quote unquote classes of tinnitus? Yeah, um, and yes, yeah, we do. Um, and you know, when you pick up a helpline caller, you're never sure who you're going to get or or where someone's at. But I'd say the majority of people who use our helpline and are attending support groups are at that end of people who have, you know, moderate to, to severe tinnitus, just because if you did have mild tinnitus, you know, you're not going to ring a tinnitus helpline. So the majority of people who are accessing, you know, the services that we have are certainly at the severe end, really. Um, and I think, 
The other thing I'd, I'd say about it as well is that a lot of the work that we do do around the severe, supporting people living with severe tinnitus is, is unseen as well. So it's it's lobbying to make sure that they're included in research trials and that they're at the forefront of people's minds when research trials are designed. It's making sure that actually when we're doing training, we're really supporting professionals well to make sure that they can give the best service to those patients. Because again, they're the patients that, you know, are going to have repeat appointments in an audiology clinic, in a tinnitus clinic. So we want to make sure that the professionals are there and are best equipped as possible to, to support those those people as well and, and those who are really struggling. So, so, yeah, a lot of our work we do is is there to support the severe end, if you like, and people who are really struggling with it. So regarding uh, future treatments and the BTA, is there some hesitation when it comes to discussing future treatments and things that could be coming out? Um, Not particularly. Um, We are very careful to not promote anything that doesn't have an evidence base or not be seen to promote something that doesn't have an evidence base. So um, we always wait until research is published before really discussing a new therapy or a new treatment um, because for a few reasons, I mean, one, we don't want to sort of raise false hope or raise awareness of something that ultimately might not work. And, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of um, different false dawns for tinnitus, sadly. So, so, you know, we don't want to really get involved in in that type of speculation. I mean, we're very much, you know, we support a lot of companies. We support a lot of trials behind the scenes but but yeah we don't necessarily discuss it until we see the published research and you know see high quality published research as well so you know randomized control trial level research is is what we look at and what we try and use to evaluate um different you know treatments or management techniques that are out there right so an issue that a lot of people talk about is that they feel that certain tinnitus organizations aren't why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you promoting this? Why aren't you promoting this? And it's it's because that, like you just said, is it because that you feel that the science needs to be there? You don't want to be giving people false information, false hope. That's why you're more conservative when it comes to talking about these things because you've seen in the past, oh, there's a lot of hype around a product and then the product or the, the, the pharmaceutical the drug or whatever ultimately fails and then you're kind of standing there and everyone's like, well, what happened? And you're like, uh... I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's there's some of that. So, you know, I said we do talk sometimes about what research is happening and what's going on. So, you know, I guess the big news at the moment is of course neuromodern, you know, we've had them at our conference and at our expo, but you know, we're not endorsing it we're not talking about it publicly you know we'll very much wait for the research results to be out there and and digest it at that point really right so you're basically just saying hey this is what's going on we can't validate any of this but we're just informing everyone that this is potentially coming down the pipeline yeah and if you know people ring our helpline and ask questions about something like that um you know we're very open and honest we just say there's no evidence it works there's no evidence it doesn't work either. You know, we're we're in the same boat as everyone else. We're waiting for that for that validation to be out there so that, you know, people can make an informed choice. Right. And so I, I assume uh, you have seen the uh, Neuromod Q&A that was recently done with Tinnitus Hub. I know officially you can't make a statement for the BTA, but what is your personal feeling on um, on this? Yeah, I mean, I've not watched the video yet, to be fair, sorry about that. Um, but I have had a few conversations with Neuromod. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think 
personally, it's, it's great to see a company doing it the right way. You know, they did bring something to market um, and we were in discussion with them at that point and they quickly withdrew it because they saw the importance of getting a robust evidence base for it first. So, so really, you know, good to see a company doing it the right way to want to get that evidence base out there. And yeah, I think it'll really be exciting to see what the research says and yeah, bit like everyone else, we're waiting for those papers to be out there so we can fully interrogate them and understand what what benefits the product does or doesn't bring. Would you think that it's more of a, you'll be just expressing those statistics based on those studies? You won't necessarily be saying, oh, it works. You'll just be like, this is the statistics. This is what they're, this is what they're saying. Yeah, I think so. Um, again, it, it depends what, what it says. I mean, I, my understanding is the randomized control trial research is some way off being published what they'll publish soon will be sort of proof of concept stuff um which again you know will be insightful but yeah we'll we'll you know be waiting for that sort of rct and see what that says uh, further down the line as well but but yeah it's, it's certainly exciting to, and it's great to have a company investing in the space like neuromod and actually i think what they're doing is is really hopefully upping everyone else's game as well in terms of, you know, the quality of RCT and the length of time that that trial is is commissioned for is, you know, really good to see, really refreshing. Especially, yeah, especially Sorry, I was going to say, especially in the devices space because that's been really lacking. <clears throat> right, and there's also been some, uh, in the background, uh, we've been keeping up with some pharmaceutical uh, drugs that are, are kind of coming down the pipeline. And one of the big ones that is causing a lot of hype on our end, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard about, is uh, some, a company called Frequency Therapeutics, and they're looking into regenerative regenerative medicine. Mm. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure based on our, what we've just been talking about, that you guys are aware of it. But like we've also talked about, you guys can't promote it or really put it out there because they're still technically in the uh, the safety phase right now. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think some, we just finished it. Yeah, some of our members are really vocal about this. So they they think they want uh, ATA, PTA, and other uh, hearing organizations and tinnitus organizations to promote uh, frequency therapeutics, to bring together tinnitus patients and try to lobby the government to allow fast tracking of the drug. And uh, so what are you, what is your opinion on that, David? What would you say to a person who wants that from the PTA? Um, so we're following some of the regenerative medicine. I mean, I spoke a little bit to um, some of the people who are working on that in the UK. Um, and, you know, we've just actually looking to commission a, a paper on it for, for our magazine, Quiet, just to, you know, sort of look at some of the different work that's happening around there. So not just what frequency therapeutics are doing, but what some of the other companies are doing around regen the regenerative medicine space as well. And yeah, it's interesting and exciting, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very early stage stuff. And I'm, yeah, you know, I, I can speculate on it, but that's all I'm doing in, in the same way that anyone else in the forum is at the moment, really. And, um, you know, likewise, like I said, trying to get the paper together on it, but um, anyone who writes that is similarly just putting across a personal opinion at the moment, I think, because the research is that in it, in its infancy that, yeah, without it, it needs to move on a little bit, I think, for us to understand it more. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. You're probably following the discussions on, on Turner's talk around th frequency therapeutics closer than I am. I don't know if, you know, what your impressions of it are in terms of where it's up to. And, and you know, regeneration of the inner ear is is a bit of a, 
yeah, golden goose at the moment. You know, you do that, you're winning Nobel prizes. You know, it's um, it's a it's a it's a, it's a huge goal that there are you know companies beyond frequency therapeutics looking at as well. So, so that type of regeneration work, you know, is interesting and is is useful. Um, like I say, we can speculate about its impact on tinnitus. Um, it should have an impact if you just think of the mechanism of the ear. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a way away from you know as having a, a proven model or a you know, there's a lot of different models at the moment. I know the Hearing Health Foundation were looking at one link to the fact that chickens can regenerate their ears or their inner ears. And so, you know, maybe there's a model there that you can learn from. And I say there's research happening in the UK at the University of Sheffield, which is really interesting around it. So, again, lots of stuff happening very early days. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes over the next few years. Right. And yeah, just to, to give a quick, um, if anyone doesn't, who's listening doesn't um, know what we're talking about. Basically, regenerative medicine is, is a way to regenerate hair cells in our ears, um, specifically frequency therapeutics. They're looking at ways to uh, use cells that are in our body that are inhibited from regenerating to form some type of drug that will allow those cells to start regenerating like it does in chickens and reptiles, which all have the ability to regenerate their hearing. Um, in humans, we don't have that ability because those cells are suppressed from regenerating uh, based on our bio uh, biology. So they're trying to stop that from happening so those cells can regenerate in humans. Um, and I think that's their ultimate goal. I'm no, by no means an expert on uh, this drug or this company, but that was my basic understanding of what, what's basically going on. Yeah, I think that's the premise of the regenerative medicine around the year at the moment. Yeah. Um, just to back to treatments in general, because you said you, you can't you know endorse specific treatments until all the data is there. Um, but are there specific treatments that you do sort of actively endorse when people come and ask for you for help? And conversely, are there treatments that you would actively discourage people from trying because they might be harmful, for instance? Um, so what we encourage is if someone gets in touch is to speak to their GP. Um, so speak to their family doctor and go through the, um, you know, standard health pathway that's, that's available in the UK. And when they get to the tinnitus clinic or audiology, then, you know, in partnership with the um, audiologist, um, talk through the different options, look at what options are available and, and ideally work in partnership with, with your audiologist to see which ones are most suitable for you and, and which ones you think are going to work. Because at the moment, you know, you look at what's available and what's standard within a healthcare pathway. Um, there's not strong evidence um, for anything, you know, having a, a huge impact. So, you know, we think it's more important that you, you decide and look at what you want to do and, and do that in a collaborative way with a health professional. And, and you know, you'll have more of an opportunity, more likelihood that that works than anything else. Um, in terms of stuff that we don't promote, we've just started a section on our website called Tinnitus And, which just goes through the evidence base and um, how safe some of the different um, therapies are. So I think we've got four we've done so far. And we're looking to add four a month at the moment and just look at the efficacy and safety for each of the different individual treatments. So there will be things on there that, you know, we do and don't end up recommending, but because... That's fan that's fantastic that that you guys are doing that because there's a lot of stuff out there um, that's a lot of the forum members and a lot of people feel is complete BS. Well, they're um, scams that basically kind of used as yeah. a treatment. 
So it's seeing that you guys are taking the step of, okay, here's the treatment. Here's something that people recommend. Now we're going to look into these studies. We're going to look into whether it's actually efficient or not. And we're going to be able to uh, give people advice as to uh, don't do that. There's not enough evidence or the evidence isn't there or, oh, you should maybe try this. There's some evidence here. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of stuff that people feel uh, – is just a scam, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean that's the that's that's the type of thing we're looking to develop, and you know, and it, it is tough because you know with a lot of these things, people get very animated one way or the other because it has helped them or it hasn't. You know, there was a product a while ago which I won't name, and literally we'd get letters and emails every day. You know, one saying why isn't this on the front page of your website? It's absolutely cured my tinnitus. It's fantastic. And the next letter would be this is just robbed me of thousands of pounds and how on earth can this be allowed to be available in it you know because tinnitus i think i know well because tinnitus is yeah, so which one you're referring to David? Uh, well they might not but um because tinnitus is so heterogeneous though um you know we don't necessarily know how it's working and it might be that you know tin it is cured at a level for some people and does work at that but for others it doesn't but because we just do population level studies where we don't you know really have that subtyping then it's it's hard to say so we're we're careful with it but yeah we are starting to get that um that list together hopefully saying what we think safe or not and what has an evidence base or or not do you recommend i mean this is the mm. quote unquote gold gold standard um uh, what people talk is the gold standard for tinnitus treatment uh, is TRT. Is that something that you guys um, have looked into that you promote for someone or do you kind of leave that up to uh, someone to go to an audiologist and then the audiologist will figure a treatment? There's for a them? bit of that. Um, so yeah, we don't promote TRT. Um, it's not really available in the UK. Um, there's only one way to train in it now. So you had to go to the US and complete the training course um, to, to be able to offer TRT. And it's in the format that it's delivered. It's a sort of 18 month program. So you wouldn't really get that on the NHS either. So it's, it's nothing we promote. It's not available. Um, my personal opinion on TRT is the world's moved on a little bit. Um, I don't think it's... Um, quite there i mean certainly in terms of counseling approaches and how trt is delivered it's it uses a form of counseling called directive counseling which um a lot of people have have moved away from now so it's it's not particularly seen as you know something that would be resurrected or or used widely in the uk yeah that's that seems to be an issue in the united states the complete opposite it it, it seems to be the gold standard here Unfortunately, uh, as we've discussed, the, the evidence around TRT's effectiveness is uh, is a little shoddy uh, to mm. keep it a nice in a nice way. <laughs> um, so, there's challenges with the yeah. I was going to say there's challenges with some of the research that's out there and um, everything else. I mean, what I would say is that actually using some sort of sound therapy and using some sort of counseling approach. So, you know, yourself having that blended approach is very common. Um, but yeah, in the UK, pure TRT as it's written in the textbooks, just not something that's really available or delivered. Wow. Uh, wish you could bring that over here. <laughs> um, all right. So let me uh, I'm, I'm try and wrap this up. I know you're a busy man, David. Um, so, uh, 
let's see what anything in the future that's coming from the BTA that you want to let us know about anything we should be aware of any events uh, any any anything we can do to help you guys out any way to spread the message yeah um, so as I said I mean we've got our strategy meeting in January for the next financial year with our trustees um, then so so yeah a lot of lot of plans that are happening but nothing particularly public i mean we will be looking to do an expo again next year uh, so that's certainly something we're planning to do we're trying to find a, a suitable venue for that at the moment so so we'll be running the expo as we did this year which hazel attended um so so we'll be doing that and we're looking to be a lot more active in the the cure space i'm hoping to have a paper out and looking at how we develop our work around that as well in the new year and you know we want to do a lot more sort of digital based work and digital projects as well and just continue improving what we're doing but you know the digital projects the new ideas we've got you know are all dependent on us being able to, to bring in the funding to do those so so yeah a lot of a lot of work for our fundraisers to to do as well to, to bring in the cash so we can do some of that all right david i think i think we've covered a lot i know you're i know you probably want to go eat dinner and get out of here um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think we covered a, a lot of this stuff we wanted to. There's obviously some stuff we wanted to to talk about, but, you know, we only have so much time in the day. Um, I don't know if Marku or Hazel, if there's anything particular you want to touch base on. No, I just want to thank all of you and especially David. This was a very nice evening for me and for all of us and hopefully for also our listeners. So thank you all. No, great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, David. We know you're very busy. We really appreciate oh, you no. taking the time. You guys, the volunteers, thank you for the time you put in and invest as well. And yeah, happy to do this again sometime if if this, if it makes sense. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, I also don't, I think we we covered a lot of important ground, so I don't have anything else. And uh, uh, thanks, Jack, also for hosting this podcast. Yeah, good job. All right, so I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. I just want to thank uh, yeah, again, thank David again, thank Marku, and thank Hazel for all joining the call. And um, hope everyone listening is definitely uh, enjoying it or taking stuff away from it. Hopefully, that's the main point of all this. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. <laughs>